Blessed be the name of the Lord. Welcome again. Touch heaven. Those of you who've come this morning, family that's back, welcome. We love you. We bless you. And uh, those who've joined us, thank you. I, I said, who's this family coming in with all these kids while I was going out? I was blessed. Young ladies, not kids. Kids are with sheep and goats and stuff like that. <laughs> Wonderful, beautiful people. Are the lights all the way up? I'm not sure they are. They look to be a little down. Is that my eyes? Are they all the way up? They are. I don't know. They look a little, little dim. You trying to give me your uh, glasses? Okay. No, they're dimming. See, these went down. See, they're messing with me now. They're messing with me now. You know, I was hearing a story from uh, a person that visited a coal mine. How many of you have ever been down in a coal mine? Yeah. And, oh, see the difference? Huh? They're messing with me, aren't they? That's all right. I get even. You mess with the bull, you get the horn. So uh, this man told me that he thought he knew darkness. And it's sort of similar to what some of the uh, astronauts and people that have been in deeper space have said, that you don't know darkness until you're really in a place that's all dark. And in a coal mine, it's all dark. And he said that in that place, he was just striving to find one little glimmer of light, just a small glimmer of light so that he could, what? Have a point of reference. You know, when it's all dark, you have no point of reference, right? If you're in space and all the lights are out and you can't look out and you don't see any stars or anything like that, you have no point of reference. You have no idea what you are as pertains in reference to something else, and it's like that in a cave. Well, that's how it is before our eyes are opened up and we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't realize we're in the dark, but we're in the dark. At that stage, we're in the dark, and we really don't have a point of reference. Everything is, is helter-skelter. It's chaos. Everything is random. Life becomes random. I've always really respected young people who seem to grasp early on what they want to do, who they want, what they want to be, and they just stay focused, you know. Um, they just started early, and they, they, they achieve that, and they get to that place, but almost always you'll find out that there's something that goes on in that walk, in that path that is an adjustment. Something that goes on that's a little bit of a left turn and a right turn. Something that goes on that's a bit of a redirection. When we come to the Lord and he does a work on our spirit. And we are literally born again. Why? Because the old spirit isn't the one anymore that we react to. It's the new spirit of God and all things are made new. But they're only made new once we're in that state, if we open our eyes to understand and receive them. You see, knowledge can come and go. Some of the most intelligent people I know aren't very practical. In fact, some of them get lost in their mind because everything is so complicated, so complex. Too much knowledge. It's good. I'm not against knowledge. I seek knowledge. 
But knowledge without wisdom is useless. Right? I had an uncle who never quit going to college. The youngest of eight children in, in my mother's family. And uh, he went off to Rome and studied forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Never went to college. I never, never, never did anything with it. Came back to Girard, Ohio, lived in my grandmother's house after she passed away. And then he passed away. All the knowledge. He gathered so much knowledge but no wisdom. So one of the reasons and the biggest reason that we go to the Word of God is to get the knowledge, but it's different knowledge because it has revelation with it that also opens us up to the wisdom of God. We get the Word of God, but we want the Word of God with revelation so that we understand the mind of God, the wisdom of God, which isn't man's wisdom. We know we're those who walk with a faith that doesn't just depend upon knowledge. Now, I'm not one who tells you that because of faith you should have no knowledge and you should discard all science, all medicine, all math. No, 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 that's ignorant. Because God is the creator of all things. So everything that we're discovering has already been created. Nobody invented penicillin, it was already there, it just had to be discovered, right? Nobody invented dynamite, it had to be discovered. In fact, all the metals and the compounds and things that we know, they're already there. They've been provided for us. Nobody's found something or created something that wasn't there that's used in the basis of what is done. Einstein himself admitted that what he received was a supernatural download. It was impossible for him to come up with the theorem of relativity out of just trying to understand what was given to him to work with in the age and what he had. It had to come from somewhere. Musicians will tell you there's something that happens. There's a download that comes when you open yourself up and walk into that creative level. And, uh, you know, in, in the music lingo, it's called a magic. We don't call it a magic, but that's what it is. Something happens. And things develop. How about children that are born with a special gift that you don't even understand how it happened so young, two years old, one years old, three years old. Like John the Baptist, he just sang right out when he was born. And we understand that happens. There, there are children that are so gifted in the areas that they come in that it's, it's, you can't explain it any other way than the download of God. And that's what we want in the Word of God. We want that download. We want our eyes to open. We want to get stirred in our spirit as if we're walking on the road to Emmaus with Jesus Christ. And he's talking to us and all of a sudden we realize all this comes together in our lives. And when we cross that road and we cross that road into even the most infant, infant wisdom, the one that says, you know what? What I know is good that I know, but I don't know what I don't know. And I need to learn more from the Lord now. When we cross that point, we become wise. And when we become wise, then the Lord can use us in order to build upon us. Sometimes we need to wait 
for the wisdom of God in a situation or in our lives, right? I want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I want to embellish and think about the anointing that came upon David, little David. David was a small boy. Not only was he a small boy, he was the least respected and expected in all of his family. He was the one that was given the task of taking care of the sheep, while the other ones were given the glory, the food, the positions, his brothers, seven of them in all, I believe, to be able to pursue their destiny in a different way. Now Samuel, we understand also that Samuel had to get himself, his mother put him in a place to become an anointed prophet of God. First of all, she believed God for that young boy, that baby, when she wasn't supposed to have one. And she even went to what was a dysfunctional prophet. <laughs> In fact, the word tells us that he was overweight, that he was totally dysfunctional. He had a dysfunctional family. He had lost his way and was just in his position. <laughs> Sound familiar? God did something with the man and he just got into his position because you see in that day, the prophet that was recognized and put into place by God didn't have to do anything for their own sufficiency. Everybody brought him everything. They got the best part of the lamb. They got the best parts of the sacrifice. And they, people understood they received favor by serving the prophet. So Eli got to the point where he just basically was a big blob sitting in a place, living on the past favor of God. And he shifted from the anointing to the appointment. Big difference between appointed and anointed. Big difference. So here we have Samuel, the feared prophet. And Samuel also walked in fear. The Lord spoke to him and said, said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, if you were Samuel, two things are going on inside of you. The first one is, he's afraid of Saul. The one that he anointed, that God appointed, if he found out that Samuel was gonna go to anoint someone else, Saul was out of the heart of God, he would have killed him. So here's Samuel, who's afraid of dying. He's afraid of Saul. With all of his knowledge, all of his anointing, all of his gifts, He's clutched in fear. So God says, you anointed this guy and you're mourning over what you did and what happened to him. So what's the second character problem that Samuel's having? He's regretting what he did and thinking that somehow he missed it. How many of you know that thinking that you missed what God wanted you to do is one of the worst regrets? Hmm? For me, 
constantly, I, I asked the Lord to have enough grace to get his whiteout and his eraser up in heaven and, and, and eliminate the regrets for me. Just get rid of them, Lord, because I think they'll overwhelm the dues, will be the regrets. So Samuel, he's, he's depressed. He's a depressed prophet. He's, he's, he's got manic depression going on. He doesn't want to go, but he wants something to help in the Saul. But he thinks it's beyond any hope. And so God slaps him and he says, how long are you going to, to stick in your depression, Saul? How long are you going to stay in your comfort level? Samuel, seeing I've rejected him, I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. Otherwise, Samuel got the message that it was time for a shift in the kingdom, and the shift hadn't happened yet because Samuel was in a different relationship with the eternal God. He was, had a reality of the presence, but his real reality is what was going to be because it was as if it was not. And that's the language that God was speaking to Saul in. His language wasn't, this is how it is. His language is, you fool, you're my prophet. You understand what's going on. You're not like everybody else in the earth right now. You understand, I've rejected this bum. He's done. He's just here on borrowed time right now. What was old has passed away. Come on, what was old has passed away. So get out of trying to serve what was old and don't be afraid of what you don't know is coming. <laughs> Can anybody say, I relate? I'm looking around, I'm looking around. He said, I've rejected this guy from reigning over Israel. You know I have, Samuel. And basically he's saying, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Now he says, fill your horn with oil. Well, the prophet's horn was a little one. And when it was filled with oil, it was the anointing, it was the extension of the gift of the prophet to follow the Lord's will, to go anoint whom he would for the purpose of the kingdom of God. Not for his own appointments. Not for his own appointments. You see, Samuel feared God enough not to appoint. But he also feared Saul more than he feared God for a while until God said, fill your horn. When he told Samuel, fill your horn, something percolated inside. Come on. Something percolated inside of him. God's speaking to many of you, fill your horn. Fill your horn. Fill your horn, because I'm about to anoint. And it's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Fill your horn. And that's what God is speaking to this house. He's saying, fill your horn. That's what I'm feeling. I got that percolating going on inside. Fill your horn. Fill your horn. Hey, fill your horn and go. Now, I don't want everybody to get up and leave. I don't know where you're going to go. You go down to St. Michael's down the street. I don't think they know about filling your horn, but you could go try. In fact, there might be a lot of places in the area that don't know about filling their horn. I'm just being blunt with you. Samuel was in the midst of the school of the prophets, and not many of them knew about filling their horn. Many of them weren't there because of their gift, they were there because of their appointment. It was like Paul. Paul was appointed to stu study under the rabbi, the, the, the most well-renowned instructor in all of Judaism, the, the rabbi Gamaliel in Jerusalem. He was appointed. 
And he had all of the polish and the knowledge. He was skilled in Torah from when he was a young boy. And he understood the culture. <laughs> he had a lot of religion. And he shined such that he got to be able to declare what he wanted to be and how he wanted to be. And he had a zeal for the religion that he thought was a zeal for God. Until the Lord stopped him at the crossroads. And on that road of Damascus, the Lord had to strike him blind because if not, Saul would have continued to see with a horn that wasn't filled with oil. He would have continued to see with his own wisdom and his own culture and his own religion. How many of you know that if you were once a practicing Pentecostal, that could become religion? Huh? I can't tell you how many people I've run into. I said, you know, I... Talk to me about where'd you come from? Oh, I was a charismatic, charismatic Pentecostal. What are you now? Well, uh, I'm still Pentecostal. I said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> what do you mean you're so sorry? I said, well, you know, those were tires I wore out about 25 years ago. I've retreaded. What, what do you mean? I said, you see, you can get stuck in anything that you identify and think you are. Samuel was stuck. He was stuck in what he had done with Saul, and he didn't understand God was doing a new thing. And it was already done, and Samuel knew about it, but it hadn't happened yet. And it didn't happen because God was upset with Saul and says, you're the fault. How long are you going to be in depression? I got stuff for you to do, boy. Get out of yourself and step over into the kingdom. And by the way, I'm going to fill your horn. When Samuel heard that, <laughs> I think it was like he took a, a Xanax or something. Something happened. All of a sudden, the depression began to go away. He had some fear of man. He got a little afraid of Saul. And he said, I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Now he got the message. He understood that God was moving and that the next step in the kingdom was already defined. He didn't need to wake up in a dream. He didn't need to have a vision. He didn't need to God to tell him this is exact. He said, go, Samuel. Go. Walk into your calling. Walk into your purpose. You know, have you ever thought about this? I did. I mean, Samuel was there, right? Samuel, most gifted prophet of the time, he was there. Why didn't God just appoint him over Israel? I mean, that's what the church would have done, wouldn't it? The church would have said, oh, we already got this person. They're so gifted. You're the apostle. You're the bishop. Ha! And usually those kind of appointments fall away, don't they? They really don't measure to a whole lot bunch of titles running around and why not Samuel because Samuel his position was to help transform the kingdom his position wasn't to be the one who led the kingdom his position was to transform and I believe that's where I'm at and I believe where this house is at you see, I believe and accepted a long time ago that my calling is to help prepare the way for the Lord. 
And I understand that that means to become less and less in him more and more. And I resisted it and fought it like anybody does when we're raising up and we're receiving notice and acclaim and affirmation from people and all of those lures of the flesh and ambition are out there. But then I realized something. Listen to my words. When I crossed over into the place of next and left my ambitions behind me, I entered into the place of rest. The place of next is the place of rest if you leave yourself behind. Let me say it again to you. The place of next is the place of rest if you leave yourself behind. One of the tragedies of many gifted people is they run to and fro looking for that right place. And the right place isn't a physical place. The right place isn't a structure. The right place is the place of next where you leave yourself behind. And then the Lord will deal with you. So Samuel had an exchange go on. He left his bag of self-righteousness and pity and depression and, 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 and rejection. I mean, missing God or thinking you missed God and when you did what God told you to do, it's not a good feeling, is it? I mean, I've, I've sat silent and been miserable before my wife for a month, two months, six months when I thought I missed God in something. Really. Even though he'd done many things, I miss him in one thing, it's like, oh my God. My mojo's not working. I lost my mojo. I can't trust it right now. What do I do, huh? You don't want to lose your mojo. Then think, well, am I hearing from God? What am I? Hey! <laughs> Saul, I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Whoa, stop right there. No good thing comes out of Bethlehem. Isn't that what the, what the Jews said? No good thing comes out of Bethlehem. Jesus came out of there. Samuel had to go there to appoint David. Isn't it something that the son of David came out of Bethlehem too? So now Samuel says, you know what, Lord, you, you just, Saul's going to kill me. I really don't want to do this. Either you or I or both of us messed up on Saul in the first place. Now you're sending me to a sheepyard, a stockyard, a stinky sheepyard. That's what they did in Bethlehem. They raised sheep. And it wasn't a very comely place. Didn't have a lot of water. Barren. If you go to Bethlehem, now it's not a very nice place to go look at. Surrounded by by deserts and, and scraggly roads and bushes and trees that don't really grow too good. He goes to Bethlehem. He says, I got a Bethlehemite, and his name is Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself. Ah, I have provided myself a king amongst his sons. Have you accepted that God has provided you to himself in his kingdom? Have you accepted that? I know it's easy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you? Because that means you don't own anything anymore. Amen. That means you don't put your pants on and go where you think you're going to go or put your dress on. And men, put your pants on, not your dress, to think of where you're going to go. <laughs> Women can wear the pants. Men, you can't wear the dress. Just get that straight. That's the gospel according to Frank today. So, 
<laughs> Someone's going to pick up on that and go, ram me with it. That's okay. I'm all right with it. I can live with it. Have you realized that God has raised you up to be something in his kingdom for himself? Look at that word. I have provided myself you. Well, Lord, I had plans. I mean, you know, I've been working towards this for 25 years, 29 years, 22 years, 15 years, 12 years, one year. The Lord says, yeah, 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 but your time doesn't matter. The Lord says, I am the one that time is in. And if you're in me, time doesn't have you. I have you. I have you to myself. Throw your watch away. For I have provided myself a king amongst his sons. What are you if you're in Jesus Christ? What are you? You're either a king or a priest or both. Huh? A king has dominion and authority. A priest is one that's to serve the people and has access to God. I believe you're a king and a priest. I believe you have dominion and authority. And I believe you serve in the kingdom of God. And I believe God's kingdom is so big he has all kind of kings. And I believe his kingdom is so big, he has all kind of priests. And a priest serves God to the people. To the people. People don't serve the pastor to God. The pastor serves God to the people. It's an inversion of a lot of mindsets, especially religious Mindsets and a lot of denominations that put so many rules about how you serve God. So many bells you got to ring. So many ladders you got to climb. So many certificates you have to receive. So many years you have to spend. What? How about this young man? He had his head in a tree in the middle of Bethlehem, rejected of his family, didn't even get to go down and have dinner with the family. The seven boys. The wife is not even spoken of, is she? Nobody knew about who Jesse's wife was. She was non-existent in that phase of the kingdom. It was Jesse and the boys. The seven boys and, and David. You know, he's out tending the sheep. Little David. I mean, after all, the youngest and smallest and the one at the end of the food chain, he's got no inheritance. Huh? In that day, he had no inheritance. No inheritance at all, except he was already inherited by the Lord himself. Next verse. And Samuel said, ha, How can I go, Lord? If Saul hears it, he's going to kill me. First thing out of his mouth, how can I go? I'm going to lose this. I'm going to give this away. I, I, I owe this to, you know, Samuel probably say, My mama's going to cry. We don't know Samuel was married. I didn't know nothing about that. But he had a mama. My mama's going to cry. I'm going to lose my inheritance in my family. I'm going to lose my pension. I'm going to lose my, I'm going to lose everything. Lord, if I go, no, no, I can't. Lord, Lord you're going to kill me. But the Lord said, <laughs> take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, was God being funny here? You know, was God not being straight? Was God throwing a knuckleball? I mean, you see, sometimes 
We're so blind that we think our own self-righteousness and truth matters more than what God is telling us to do. And when I say truth, it's a twisted truth. I'll give you an example. I know many people who along my walk in the last 40 years criticized me because of stepping out. Criticized me. Well, wait a minute. Your family's got problems. Oh, their family had problems, but my family has problems. You got to get your family right. You got to get perfect with God. Oh boy, try that one. You know, you really haven't been trained and equipped in that. To basically say, who do you think you are? You know, the timing's not right. Where God's sending you that's really cold, it's the middle of winter and, and it's bad. Or, or where he's sending you, you know, it's not safe to go. They're telling you not to go. There's earthquakes. You get stuck. Yeah, yeah, you do. It, don't do that because you don't have enough provision to do that. You haven't prepared yourself. You don't have enough money. You, you don't want to go on the radio and sign a contract. Where's the money going to come from? Nobody knows you, fool. Many, many obstacles thrown up in my life. Call me what you want. You know, I'm a stunard. I'm stubborn for God. Italian stunard. Hardhead. I'm not saying I was smart or even wise. I just was stubborn. And I still am. I'm very stubborn for God. And in that, I've learned to close my ears to the naysayers. And I don't even care if there's yaysayers. I want to know here. And you know when I find out and know here, it's when I step out. See, God downloads so much to so many of us about all the things we can do and might be able to do. But until we step out and we get out of that boat, then we realize we can walk on those waters and hold on to Jesus. We can cross that, that river. How many of you know that your, your promise isn't where you're at? It's where you're going. Huh? How many of you know your legacy isn't from here back what you've done? Your legacy is what you're about to do. How many of you know it's not how you run, but how it's how you finish? Huh? It's how you finish. I've seen so many people, some that I've respected dearly, they didn't finish well. And all that's left is chaos and besmirching. And what they had crumbles. Because somewhere along the line, the foundation shifted. How many of you know you could build a perfect structure, good foundation, but if that foundation begins to crack and go and you don't fix it, this man can tell you what happens. He's fixed many a foundation. It's not good on the house. It's not good on the structure. It's damaged. Serious damage. Serious damage. He's going to kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, Saul, buy that one. Because in Saul's mind, he's doing what Saul wasn't doing for Saul. 
Oh, my prophet's going to go sacrifice a heifer with Jesse the Bebelite out there in sheep country. Eh, they can't do anything between him and Jesse. They add up to nothing. But they're going to sacrifice a heifer. Hey, throw my name in there while you're doing it to God. Because God knew how to play to Saul's ego, to his flesh. And he knew that Saul no longer had a relationship with him, so Saul was relying on other people's relationship with God. How many people have fallen into that? How many leaders have fallen into that? Next verse. And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. <laughs> Jesse, we came to your house. We know all you got is sheep. I'm bringing a heifer. Ah, I got a cow. We're going to sacrifice. That's a cow. He's bigger than your sheep. He's worth more money than your sheep. Jesse, we're coming to you. And I'm going to show you what you shall do. What do you tell him? Take my sacrifice and go. And then I'm going to show you what to do. We want to say, show me what to do, and then I'll take my sacrifice and go. Or said, no, 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 no. Take Isaac up to the mountain. Carry the wood. Bring the sacrifice. I'll show you what I'm going to do. Daddy, where's the sacrifice? Don't worry, son, the Lord will provide. Bah, out of the bush. Bah, silent, quiet. Abraham, you think that, that man was listening? His future was laying on the altar. That was his legacy. That was an inheritance. That was his pension. That was everything. That was the seed of his children. That was the promise of God that he waited a hundred years for was laying right there on the altar. Bah. The Lord will provide the sacrifice. I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me. <laughs> you shall anoint. You know, how many times have you seen this? Huh? Someone's on the stage and, and they put it over the person and they go down and next year they're still driving a truck and ain't doing nothing for God. We've all seen it. Oh, it looks good. It looks great. He put his mantle on him or her. For what? Well, I don't know. I just looked good. Felt good. You know what I also noticed? I just got to see, I, I watch things. I've never seen someone who's done that let them keep their jacket. Huh, have you? They walk back out with their jacket. There goes the mantle. Because it wasn't the mantle in the first place. <laughs> My wife says I need to wear this and look. Looking good, honey. Working at it, babe. <laughs> ah, you shall anoint for me the one I named to you. You see, if you're carrying an anointing, it's not yours to give out however you want to randomly. 
But when God tells you to anoint whomever he shall for him, you better do it. Because it's not yours in the first place. And they're not taken from your anointing. It's his anointing. The oil that was in that horn, it wasn't Samuel's oil. It wasn't what he eats his lettuce salads with and puts on his rashes. <laughs> that oil was God's anointing. Samuel, you're going to go minister the anointing that I give to you for me. So Samuel goes, look at this. So Samuel did what the Lord said. I'm scared, but I'm going, give me that cow. Give me, give me that cow, that cow's going with me. We're going to go to Jesse the Bethlehemite. I don't know why I'm going there, it smells there. They probably got no good place for me to sit and we can't eat this cow, we gotta sacrifice it. I don't like lamb in the first place, Lord. Why am I going here? And the elders of the town trembled at his coming. Whoa! The word went out. He didn't sneak out in the middle of the night. <laughs> God wouldn't let you do that. The word went out. How did it go out? They didn't have social media. They didn't have the internet. How did the word go out? Had to go out by people with a mouth. Somebody ran ahead. Probably a Bethlehemite that had picked up and followed Samuel. Because you had to be in the place where Samuel was for Samuel to say, go get me a heifer. God told me to go here. I'm going to Jesse's house. And, 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 and someone go tell Jesse I'm coming. Tell Jesse the man of God's coming. And, and, and so the, the servant runs ahead and he says, Samuel's coming. Samuel's coming. And there was doom and gloom. Samuel's going to... Everybody's starting to count their sins. The man of God's coming. God's going to visit the house. Instead of getting excited about God visiting the house, it's like me again. Uh-oh, what do I, well, uh, where do I stay? Uh-oh. You can't hide from the man of God. The man of God's coming. He sees. He hears. God will show him. They start cleaning up their house. The adulterers quit adulterating. The children start to be nice to mom and dad. Now you, everybody gets an order. The man of God's coming. He's afraid and they're afraid. <laughs> And the elders of the town trembled at this coming and said, are you coming for peace? Are you coming to pronounce massacre upon us? They're not even sure if Saul didn't send them. Take away their sheep. Next verse. And he said, I come peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. It's not a lie because you're gonna see what the sacrifice is in a little bit and that sacrifice established the house of the kingdom of Jesus. Quite a sacrifice, still given. <laughs> the sacrifice that keeps on giving. Get ready, get your hearts right, sanctify yourselves, get holy before God, get all the sin out of there. Because God's gonna come and when God comes, he's gonna destroy the sin, he ain't gonna handle it. Get ready, I'm coming peaceably, but you gotta sanctify. I'm coming, but you gotta sanctify. I'm coming, says the Lord, but you have to sanctify. You gotta get right. You gotta get your house in order. Get your priorities right. God's not gonna do that for you. He didn't do it for me. He's still not doing it for me. And every time I think I got it right and don't ask God, I'm in big trouble.
Sanctify yourselves and then come with me to the sacrifice. Can you imagine the anticipation in Little Bethlehemite? That'd be like Jesus coming to Hubbard, Ohio. I was born there, so I'm allowed to say it. What comes out of Hubbard? Well, a few of us have. I don't know. It's, I don't know if that's good or bad. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons. You see, Samuel knew he couldn't deal with the flesh. So he consecrated them. What did it mean he consecrated them? He paid over them and set them aside for what the Lord was going to do. Now I could see Jesse, the father was like, whoa, Samuel came to my house and he's consecrating me and my sons. Notice they left the, window, the, the lady out again. Here's good news. We don't live in that realm anymore. There's no male nor female nor Jew nor Greek. It's all equal. God set that straight. I assure you, God wasn't happy when they left the woman out. Samuel didn't know any better. Paul didn't know any better. Me and Paul are going to have a conversation when I get up there. It's a few things he said I just don't like about women. I think God already straightened them out. That's all right. If not, I will. Hey. <laughs> all right, all right. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. Next verse. I know I got to move on. But it was, so it was that when they came that Saul, this means Saul, looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord is anointed is before him. This is Saul talking. Eliab was probably the oldest one, the most mature one, the one who had the inheritance of the law upon him. The one who had served the time, who had the degrees, who was appointed, who, you know, had the pedigree, is Eliab. He said, surely this is the one that the Lord's anointed. It's before me. Next. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I refuse him. That's not the one I want. He's into himself too much. He's too GQ for me. He, he thinks he got it all because the daddy's going to give him all the sheep. He sits at the best place and gets the best lamb. His mama even waits on him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Oh, thank you, Jesus. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. What's in my heart? doesn't mean you always get it right. It just means when you get it wrong, you have a heartache before God. He anointed David because he had a heart like him, and he buried David because he had a heart like him. And in between those two bookends, David did a lot of bad stuff. But he had a heart unto God. He had a heartache. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't sit there and measure me by where I went wrong and that my legacy stops at that point and my time in the kingdom stops there. Cindy, you were there when a man at Pleasant Valley, he, he announced publicly, I was done forever. And that man went psycho, wuko, wacko. The last thing I needed at that point was to be crushed. But you know what? God strengthened me. 
slapped me, said, son, you can't take a good punch. I said, Lord, I've been known to take. Stand up. Now that you know you're nothing, let me show you what I can do. It's the same for you. Stand up. Now that you know you're nothing, let me show you what I can do. So, Jesse calls the next one in. Abinadab. Now, it's like, it's like the bachelorettes or the whatever they are. I don't watch it. I can't stand it. Right? It's like they're bringing them in one by one. He brings in Abinadab. I don't even like that name. You know, there's a, 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 a principality, a dark principality named Abinadab. Next. And made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one, Jesse. So that's your favorite. This is your second favorite. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Now Jesse's getting worried. He said, this doesn't make any sense to me at all. See, Jesse already had it figured out in his hand that if Eliab died, and if Abinadab died, that the next one in line was Shammah, and that he would be the one he would have because he had seven sons. What happens if they got killed in war? They'd go down to the third one. He's counting his men like his youngest son would do it one other time in his history with God. When he's getting ready to go out to war, he counted the army. It was a sin before God. God doesn't want us to count what we have to decide if we're going to go. <laughs> God says, you want me to take that all away from you so I send you with nothing? Or do you want to go with something? The pity of the children coming out of Egypt was they had all the, all the wealth of the Egyptians. They never got to use it. All it did was become weight that they hauled around in the desert for 40 years. Their shoes didn't wear out, but their hearts sure did. Till they all died. That which God gave them as a blessing became their stone, their burden. And that's what he does with us. If we don't move when God tells us to move and don't do the things that God tells us to do and we make excuses and put ourselves up before him, that gift becomes a burden. Yes, it does. I've seen so many people in the kingdom of God, great men, great women of God, whose gifts have become a curse. Got them in more trouble than they ever could have. Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't shown this one either. Next. Go ahead. And Samuel said to Jesse, and all the young men here. So he talks about all of them. He says, but there remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him, for we will not sit down till, we, till he comes here. How did Samuel know that? Did somebody tell him? Or did the Lord whisper in his ear, it's the shepherd. Go get the shepherd. Bring me the shepherd. The one that his daddy doesn't even see. The one that his brothers have rejected. Go get the shepherd. Go get the shepherd. Arise. He brings him. He comes in. Now he's ruddy. You know why he's ruddy? He's been outside day and night in the elements. He's been in the sun. He's been in the dark. He's been, they don't have much rain there, but he, whatever it is, it came. He was out there with the sheep laying on a mat. He'd already killed the lion. He'd already killed the bear. 
He had a harp that he had to make. He didn't go to the store and buy it. God had to teach him how to praise. He began to praise God because it was only he and the Lord. They had relationship. The other brothers didn't have relationship. He understood what it meant to rely upon God because nobody else was there for him, not his daddy, not his mommy, not his brothers. He was like the servant to the servants. His job was to take care of the sheep. Left out alone. And the man of God came and he wasn't even invited to the table for the sacrifice. But he was good looking. I like that part. Oh, you're good looking, beloved. I see you. You may say, well, Frey, I don't know. You're good looking. You're good looking to the Lord. He sees beauty. He sees the oil of anointing for ashes. He looks at you and he smiles. He said, boy, I don't make no junk. Good looking. And the Lord said, Samuel, arise. Get up. Walk into what I sent you to do. Anoint him. Anoint him for myself. For this is the one. Ah. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Could you imagine them? We know what happened. They become jealous. They get so jealous when he comes to destroy Goliath, they, they, they mock him and make fun of him. They don't expect and understand his anointing. They don't even know what anointing means before God. God moved in their midst and they had no clue because their mind wasn't right. Their heart wasn't right. They weren't willing and God knew it. He knew he would just raise up another Saul. Anointed him in the midst of his brethren and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. He was done. You notice he didn't prophesy over David? Did you catch something else? <laughs> he didn't ask David, do you want this? He didn't say, David, can I anoint you? <laughs> he didn't say, David, you know about what's happened? David, you know who I am? You know, I, I got this gift. Oh, yeah. He didn't say, <laughs> Here, take my mantle, David. With fear and trembling, he took that horn out, poured the anointing of the Lord on that little boy. Probably hadn't even bar mitzvahed yet. Hadn't even taken the rights of a Jew into manhood. But to God, that was his man. I've raised a man up to myself, says the Lord. Lord's raised you up. You may not know it, but he's raised you up. You got to cross over the river. The promise is on the other side of the river. And the thing about crossing over the river, you got to leave the junk behind. Because if you try to take it across the river, you go to sink and get stuck in the mud. 
then the waters are going to flow over you and you're going to be drowning in the crud. Ooh, that's nice. Leanne's got it. I'm flowing with you, honey. I'm flowing with you. Yeah. So blessed to have you. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm going to go to a scripture. I had a lot more. We'll see if we can bring it again next time around. I sent you a scripture, and we sang about it today. My message to you that went out was that that the ask activates the answer. We're still on that. And I write to you and I tell you, do not hesitate to ask God. Becoming righteousness is what makes the way. How do you become righteousness? Jesus Christ. He was made sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Once we accept the Lord, then we have to be the guardians of our heart. Don't ask God or put it on God when you have a misstep. Ask him to make our heart right. But I'm in control of this heart, nobody else. Don't blame it on anybody else. No matter what comes against you or me, we're responsible for this heart. And if we ask him, he'll show us what we need to do to reset it. Righteousness, makes the way to what? To ask the Father in faith. Ask me what you shall according to my will in my name and I will do it. I will do it. To ask the Father in faith so that we can believe God knowing that with the right heart, and when we ask, God answers. He gets active. He moves from the present reality and speaks to us from your future and eternity. He doesn't look upon you as you are, in the flesh, as a woman, as a man. He doesn't look at that appearance. He looks at whom you are destined to become all the way up to the point before we stand before the throne to hear those words, well done, my faithful daughter. Well done, my faithful son. Beloved, I can tell you with emotion, those are the words I'm living for. That's all I want to hear. I don't need to hear or see anything else. I'm just praying, Lord, please let me stand before you and you say, well done, my son. (laughs) Because anything less than that, I would have to live with for eternity. That's not good. Well done. Believe God, he moves. 
And then he answers. God answers. God answers. Oh my. You see, there's really only two things that we're told that come into play for God to answer. Three, really, the right heart, not a mist, no flesh. Number two is it is will. There's certain things we don't have to pray about if it's God's will. God, are you calling me to serve you? <laughs> no. I want you to sit on your hands and do nothing. God, am I equipped? Are you stupid? The Lord says, where's this Bible? Read this Bible. Who was equipped that I called? The ones who were equipped, they failed me. They were the souls of the Bible. They were the kings that were appointed and not anointed. They were the false prophets that didn't walk in my path. They were the souls who became Paul's, who had to change their lives and walk away from their entitlements. Those are the ones I call. Those are the ones I anoint. Those are the ones that serve my kingdom. For I will have no man, no woman, say they did it themselves. I spit them out. He answers. Other things about his will. God says, I'm the God who heals. I don't need to ask God if he wants to heal. I need to ask him to heal. I don't say, God, do you want to heal? No, I want to destroy him. I want him to have pain. I want him to suffer. No. Lord, if it's thy will, heal. Poverty. Jesus told you about the poverty. Hey, poor with you always. <laughs> he didn't tell us not to help him. In fact, he says we're blessed when we do, but he didn't tell you to become poor to help the poor. Nobody can take someone where they can't get them out of. You want to be poor to help the poor? You're going to be two poor people helping each other do nothing. I'm going to give each other rags. Here, I'll give you the rag today. You wear it tomorrow. I'm going to fight over a kernel of corn. I know it sounds ridiculous, but people think they have to do a vow of poverty to be, help the poor. That's pity. That's not understanding who God is. There's other things about his will. We could go on and on. We know what the will of God is. God's will is that we share the gospel. God's will is that we walk lives that, that glorify Christ. God's will is that we change the way we speak. God's will is that we, we give him time. God's will is that we're a light in the darkness. I go on and on about God's will. If you ask him his will, he'll tell you either by the word of God or by the mouth of a teacher or in your own heart and conscience and sort. You'll know. You'll know what's right of God and wrong. And so if we got his will, we got our heart right, what's next? Believing that God is able. God is able. Now to him who is able, help me, to him who is able, Read the scripture with me now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask of him according to the power that works in us.
Why is that power working in us? Because we're not Samuel. We're not Abraham. We're not the minor prophets and the greater prophets. We're the children of God. <laughs> oh, my Lord Jesus. So we overcome. We overcome everything. We overcome the threats and words of doctors. Nancy, we love you. Beloved, I want to celebrate our beloved Nancy's alive. She went through a surgery, was supposed to take 12 hours. They told her and her family that it was highly probable she wouldn't make it. It took three hours and they got it all. Jewish woman skilled in robotic surgery from Israel a daughter of Zion all of those male doctors that had the tumor thing got together in consultation they said no it's too late we can't help her God raised up a daughter of Zion said let me have a shot at this You see, there's no coincidences in God, right? The warning was 12 hours. What's 12 the number of? Somebody help me. Say what? Say it loud. Almost. Tell me again. What was the first one you said? Right? Somebody was taking authority that had no authority. So God said, let me show you what I do in three. <laughs> three days, three hours. Hey! Hey! Because on the third day is resurrection power. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I don't miss those things. Three resurrection power at the hands of a daughter of Zion. Woo! They get any better than that in your testimony. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for what you've done in us today. Thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you, Father, that we come to a greater understanding and revelation of who you are and who we are anointed in you. Thank you, Lord, that it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Not appointment, not what we've done, not even what we're going to do. It's your anointing, Lord, that breaks the yoke. And thank you, Lord, that you anoint us for yourself, <laughs> for your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to seek your kingdom with all we have and lay it all else aside, knowing you're going to take care of it, Father, as long as we seek your kingdom. And as we enter into that place of next, 
Let it be the place of rest. Rest from all the clutter, all the chaos, all of the the naysayers, all of our failures. For Lord, the latter days indeed are going to be better than the former. Father, use this house. We give you this house, Lord. It's yours. Lord, we're God-controlled. We're not man or person controlled. We don't answer, Father, to those who think they have authority over the kingdom. We answer to you, Lord. And then allow us to govern with authority in the kingdom. Allow us, Father, to share, to respect, and to honor each other. Thank you, Father, that gifts are percolating and coming alive in this house. People are getting in order and coming to the place of Ziglag in order to see the kingdom move from this house. I don't know, Lord. We probably weren't ready and couldn't have handled revival a while ago, but I think there's enough people here now that know what they're doing to do it, Lord. Might be a small Gideon army, Lord, but it can go 24-7, seven days a week, Father. And the shoes won't wear out. (laughs) I'm just saying, Lord. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, bless your people, Father. Thank you, Lord. Let us walk in and not walk out. Be blessed, be glorified in Jesus' name. If you're online with me or in this house, every, if you'd sit down a moment, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, Frank, I just want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ today. I realize now it's not what I know, it's just who I don't know or who I want to know. Or you say, I've had that opportunity in the past, but I just have to tell you, I think I've strayed away and I just want the security of knowing that I I walk back home and run into my Father's arms in Jesus. You're here in this house or you're watching online or you're gonna watch online and that's you. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I'd just like you to put your hand up very quickly, please. I see you. Yes, I see you. Yes. And the Lord sees you in your house. Let me put your hands down. I want you to do something. If you're online, do something prophetic. If you can stand up, stand up before the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to pray. Very simple prayer. Church, will you pray this with me, please? I believe in God the Father. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came as man on earth, never sinned, died on the cross, descended into hell, paid the price for my sins. He resurrected, and he's at the right hand of the Father. And in his name, my sins are forgiven. Forgive me, Lord. Jesus, become my Lord. Help me to stay in you and you come in me. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in me. Guide me. Teach me. Keep me. To God be the glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If you're in this house and you said that prayer, just see
uh, Pastor Laura Lee or Pastor Patty or Ralph and just say, I'd like some more materials. We'll get you a Bible and some other stuff. If you're online, just send us a little note. If you put up on the screen, please, how to contact us. And just say, you know, I'd like to begin to receive stuff from you. Uh, I'd like a Bible. I need some stuff. We, we don't ask for money, so you don't have to worry about that. And we don't sell anything either, so you can't buy it. But we want to give you some stuff. We want to help you to grow. And we want you to help to become founded and have a strong foundation in the Word of God and with revelation in the Lord. 